welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, we are, we are in number three of the seminary course that all of you have been suffering through. God bless you. I'd, when I first heard myself say that, in my own head prior to preaching the first one, I said, man, if I tell people this is a seminary course, I'm gonna empty out the church. And then you bunch of wackos kept showing up. So I guess at the end of it, I'll give you like a certificate or something. You've survived a seminary course with Dr. Steve Gazzle. <laughs> and you can take that and $5 and buy a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> first Peter chapter two. Verse four, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, notice men are plural, not just one dude, lots of dudes. Rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. God has a different value system than men. The more you embrace that in your life, the more your priorities will align with what God has intended for you to experience. Verse five, you also like living stones. Have you ever imagined that thought? A what's a living stone? <coughs> it, I will tell you, it's something like lava. And I know you're thinking like, lava, that's destructive. But lava is literally like the creative force, the current creative force in our world. Kay and I went to Hawaii um, for our, oh boy. <laughs> there I go, just stepped in it. Oh, what's that smell? That's what you stepped in, Pastor. I did not give her a honeymoon because we eloped. And so I had to make up for it. I planned on making up for not giving her a honeymoon when we eloped by giving her a real honeymoon on our 10th anniversary. And we were broke. Broke. So I couldn't give her a real honeymoon. And she's super gracious. She just smiled and said, it's okay, honey, we'll shoot for the next one. So shot for 15, we were more broke. Anybody ever been more broke than broke? <laughs> like, baby, I mean, I'm working hard. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna rule this corporate world. I'm gonna earn our 20th. And right in the middle of that is when the Lord called us to come do this. So when you plan a church, you thought you were broke before when you were broke being broke. Wait till you plan a church. Our first year's income planning the church, one whole year of income for our family of four was $19,000. I have no idea how we paid rent and bought food. I know, 
I know one time my brother came over and handed me a check. He said, I don't know why I'm giving you a check. I'm like, ah, thanks, bro. You're awesome. I'm like, I know why you're handing me a check. <laughs> ain't got nothing. <laughs> so at 20, we didn't get there. But we've been saving money. Every time someone would give us money for Christmas, I shouldn't say stuff. <laughs> we, would, we were just packing money away. We were saving money. And then at 25, we got there. We had the money. I knew how to work the internet enough to buy plane tickets. <laughs> we were owning it, tracking. So it just so happened that our 25th anniversary fell in 2020. Anybody know what happened to Hawaii in 2020? It disappeared. They just wasn't allowed. They took it off the map. You could not get there. If you snuck in on a boat, they put you in, in an emergency shelter for 14 days and sprayed you with bleach just to make sure. that. And so this actually was a real legitimate excuse that I had to not take Kay on a honeymoon. So... We pushed through and then obviously had other things going on in 2020, like fighting the government and death threats and bombing threats and you know the story. So we kept working, kept believing, and on our 28th anniversary, we have finally were able, we had someone offer us a place to stay for free, which actually made it because anybody ever heard of inflation? Yeah, that happened. You thought Hawaii was expensive before. You should try it now. Your $9 gallon of milk. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, we went. And I learned something really interesting when we were in Hawaii. We went to the last island. What was it, Kauai? Is that right? The last island, and I say the last island because if you look at a map, there's, there's an island, then there's an island, there's an island, there's an island, and we were at the last island. And here's what a lot of people don't know. Those islands were formed by basically a, a magma flow, a lava flow. And so lava would flow, and it would cool and flow and cool and flow and cool and eventually, you know, poke out of the ground and, and form and form and form. And it, you would have an island. And then the magma would chill for a while. And you, most people don't know this, but our earth moves. And so the tectonic plate underneath Hawaii was moving. And so the tectonic plate moved a little bit. And then all the magma got all excited again. And then bloop, and you got island number two. And then the magma would chill for however long. You know, God's unique, whether it's a million years or it's a million minutes, I don't know, whatever. Bloop, next island. Chill, 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 chill. Next island. We were on the last island. And it's really interesting because you can see the differences in the ages of the island based upon when they were formed and how, they, how those things happen. And we are those living stones. You're the magma. You're the lava. Only your lava doesn't burn. Your lava conforms. And so God can put you into whatever he needs to put you in 
and you're going to fit perfect. Perfect. You know, when you first came to Beloved, you're like, these people are weird. Like, weird. Like, call the paddy wagon weird. And then you'd like suffered through it and you hung out and now you're weird. <laughs> God bless you. Your family thinks you're in a cult. All the heads that are nodding at me, you've heard it. It was exciting for me the first time uh, Cinderella and I think Aaron went out to eat in Dubuque and they had some friends and they were in Dubuque and this is back in the funeral home days and she came back the next Sunday. She said, she said, what's a cult? I said, well, it depends on who uses the word because the word cult is actually a good word. The word cult actually means that you have a religious adherence that makes you sacrifice. That's actually what the term, if you look it up in the dictionary, that's what it is. Now, the, the slang usage of it is in you're a weird group of people and you drink Kool-Aid and suicide together. That's, that's, that's a misuse of the term. But anyway, they were at lunch and so she came back and she said, what's a cult? And I'm like, well, why are you asking? She said, well, we just so happened to be having lunch in Dubuque. And this is way back when, like the first year of the church. And we were, we were having lunch and we seen a friend across the restaurant. And so they came over and said hi, or they went over or something like that. And da da da, you know, what's going on? And they were catching up and they're like, yeah, we're going to this new church. And like, really, where at? In Pearl City, like a new church in Pearl City. It's 800 people. And they're like, yeah, we're meeting a funeral home. They go, oh, you're in that cult, huh? And so she's like, it's a cult? She had to ask what a cult was. I said, basically what a cult is, is what the world doesn't like that you're in. So if anybody ever tells you you're in a cult, now you're in a real church. Now you're in a real church. Just, just so you know. That, that's the world's way. If anybody ever calls you like a freak because of your love for Jesus, For real. Check. Made it. Uh, if, anybody, if anybody says that you're overzealous, you're a zealot. The, the world's version is like, we have to be very pious and we have to be very controlled and everything has to be analytical and it has to, it has to fit within our cool regimented boxes and, it, and it, has to, it has to fit perfectly on the outline and let me tell you how the corporate structure that we all need to have and, and if you don't fit within the brick structure, the brick and the brick and the brick and the brick, which by the way, guess how they built the Tower of Babel? By bricks. Guess how God's building the church? Lava. Brick is the world system. The more you brick, the more you allow the world to conform you into their mold, the more you're just another brick in the wall. But the more you allow Jesus to superheat you, the more you're that living stone, you're that lava. 
that God can actually build a church out of it, build an island out of it. I want to be a place. I want to be a respite. I want to be an island where people can come and they can rest on my shores and they can play in the water and they can experience the tropic paradise that God intended for each of us to be for our neighbors and our friends. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse six, for it stands in scripture, see, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. It's one of those places in the Bible that never can be used. We use that word, we shouldn't use that word. That's a God word, never. You will never, God says, God's promise, God's word, you will never be put to shame if you are legitimately allowed, allowing your heart, your soul, your life to be a part of what he's building. I don't care if the world calls you ugly. That's a, that's a stupid looking house you're building there. I'm not building it for you. I am not building it for you. I'm building it for my king. Verse seven, to you who believe then, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This, this always gets me. How precious is Jesus to you? How precious is Jesus to you? That's where you're at in this process of being built. Verse eight, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. One of, the, one of the great names of Jesus is stumbling stone, offensive rock. You know, like, Emmanuel, God with us, King of kings, Lord of lords. Yeah, an offensive rock. Well, he can't be both, want to bet? Together we are being built into the temple of the living God. We are being built in sacred space as a covenantal Jesus community of remnant people. That's you. Living stones. Lava. This, this course is based on Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11, all the way through chapter 6, verse 6. So I'm going to read these for you so they're fresh in your mind, in your heart, and then we're gonna unpack the foundation stone number one. We made it. After two intros, we, we got to the first principle. Amen. Whoever's driving this car needs to do a better job. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain. This is the problem for every preacher. Got a lot to say and a hard way to explain it. But it is hard to explain because you are dull of hearing. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. Notice it's the principles of God's word. 
It's not the principles of Steve. The principles of your denomination. The principles of, of what your parents taught you when you were young. These are the principles of God's word. If God didn't say it, you can't trust it. Amen. You'll get that later. The basic principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food, exclamation point. And, and before someone in here gets all irritated, like, Steve, how dare you say that to me? I'm not saying it, number one, and it wasn't even written to you. The only reason you're getting irritated is because it's true for you. The only people that ever get upset when you preach about money are people that are not generous. The only people that get upset when you talk about divine health are people that are in some kind of sickness that they can't shake. What are you trying to say? I'm not in faith? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it, now you can get mad and stay there or you can just accept it and move on and let the Lord do what he needs to do in your heart to make you a healthy person, a generous person, and a joyous person. You preach on joy? I preached on joy last Sunday. And you know, people like were sucking lemons looking at me. I'm preaching on joy in a church and people were looking at me with mad face. I ain't got no joy. Well, <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> it's Christmas Eve and you're in a church and I'm preaching on joy. Well, I ain't got no joy. You do, you just don't like it. His name is Jesus. Amen. And it's, it's always fun. I'm not, I, I got the, you guys are the real ones, okay? This isn't Christmas. If you came to church on New Year's Eve, you're weird. <laughs> on Christmas, you get the Christers, which is Christmas and Easter people, and they check their religious boxes. And God bless them, they're welcome to come. I, I want Christers here because Christers will eventually turn into Christians. If they stay, like Bob says, if they stay in the pickle juice long enough, they'll turn into a pickle. So, so invite all the creasters you can and invite them on New Year's Eve. See, see how that goes. And that you can tell when you're preaching, just, just so you know, and this isn't necessarily a face thing or a physical thing, this is a spiritual thing. I can tell when I'm ministering and it is bouncing off of people and coming back at me twice as fast with a really sharp point or whether it's actually sinking into the heart of the person. I can, it's a spirit thing, so don't think like, well, if I give him such and such a face, he won't know. It's not your face. It says in Isaiah, do not look at their faces. And so I'm not looking at your faces. When you're up here and the anointing of God is on and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, it's a spiritual thing. I can tell when things are being reflected back to me, like they reject, 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 accept, reject, reject, accept. I can tell when that's happening. And for people that this is an uncomfortable environment and these messages, these messages are uncomfortable, there's going to be more reflection. There's gonna be a rejection of it. The first time you hear a truth, you don't accept it. And I know you probably think you're super awesome and spiritual and God can give you the truth and you'll just accept it right now, but I'm telling you, that is not true. Jesus had to call his disciples three times. You've heard Doc Ryan preach on it. They didn't accept it. All the, all the people, all the Jews that were waiting for the Messiah, the Messiah comes, literally fulfills all the scriptures. 
And at the end of his life, he's got 120 people that go into an upper room. 120. That should shake us. Well, if I heard the truth, if somebody told me the truth, I'd just accept it and work. No, you wouldn't. Before the truth makes you free, it makes you mad. And most people don't get past mad. I just had an a hour-long conversation with a person this week who completely, two years ago, three years ago, I told this person the truth. And they got blankety-blank. Like over top blankety-blank. And said stuff about me online and to other people. I heard, their, and I just, they asked. They actually asked what the problem was. And I told them what the problem was. And I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I was evil. And they called me this week. And this is, this is what the, I couldn't get on the phone because I was with another person. This was the voicemail. Hey, Pastor Steve, it's so-and-so. You were right. Will you please call me? And I spent an hour on the phone with this person, reiterating the truth that I told him the first time, taking it a little bit deeper, and I said, now you're going to have the same opportunity. The first thing that happens to you when you hear truth is you reject it. Because it doesn't apply to you. I'm not that way. I'm not that person. And then you go through your own self-justification system. Well, see, I'm not this way because. I'm not that way. And so you... This is, you justify the reason that that truth is not a truth for you. That's for someone else. You know, so-and-so really needs to get a copy of this message. Amen. You know how many times a spouse has sat in here by themselves? You know, if my husband had this message, oh, really? Okay. It's not you. And then the next layer is, well, it's you, but... You came by it honest. You know, if that thing wouldn't happen to you when you were 11, if it wasn't for that stupid job you had, if my spouse was more holy, if my kids would treat me right, if God would do more for me to understand, there is, there is the acceptance of the truth, but then there's the rejection of the personal accountability for that truth to fix your life. It is always something, you are the victim. The reason your life is the way it is is because everybody else, everything else was stacked against you and this is where you're at and there's no getting, it's just too bad now. So even though that might be true, I'm just too deep. I'm too far into this. I've made too many mistakes. I've gone too far. There's no way out. God can't do this. And then the next step is just the raw anger. Why would God tell me the truth and then I don't have no exit plan? Why won't God save me? Why won't God rescue me? What's wrong with me? That's the anger part of hearing the truth. And then if you can push through that, which I'm telling you is one percenters, one percenters, where you can actually push through all that, you can get past the emotion, you can get past the self-centeredness, you can get past the victimhood, you get past all of that, then you actually say, okay, this is the truth, this truth is for me, God would not tell me the truth if he didn't want me to be free, and so I am gonna participate with the liberty that's associated with this truth. Amen. One percenters.
one percenters. You have that opportunity. Although this, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is still an infant, inexperienced in the message of righteousness. Uh, let me just say this real quick. An infant is inexperienced, not incapable, not broken inexperienced an infant will walk given the right training and circumstances an infant one day will grow up and run a corporation be a CEO but they can't yet it's inexperience it's not brokenness it's not you don't have the assets God didn't give you the grace you're not smart enough you don't have what it takes no it's in there it just needs to be trained it needs to be developed and you have to participate with that development process I'm you guys know I'm I'm learning Greek and one of one of the other students in the class is it's like a 24 year old kid who is the most irritating person ever because I think that he doesn't even need to learn Greek because he's already got it. He's got all the words. He's got all the verb tenses. The teacher's always talking, you know, this is exactly what this means, right? Yeah, that's right, teacher. <laughs> and almost 50-year-old Steve Castle sitting there like, what's a verb? Well, I, I forgot what verb was. I've literally had to, in the class, I've literally taken my phone out and said, what is a prepositional phrase? Okay, for some of you that are like five minutes outside of high school, you're like, stupid Steve, don't know what a prepositional phrase is. Okay, be 50. It's not something you throw around on a Tuesday. Hey, how are you doing with your prepositional phrase? Pretty good, it's about five sentences long. All right, that's awesome. So you learn a new language, a prepositional phrase. What's an adverbial clause? And you just smile at the Zoom. I know what an adverbial clause is. I'm not experienced in the language. Come to find out, stupid, irritating jerk on my Greek class just got out of Greek class when he was in college. He's just retaking it. So I pulled him off to the side one time when the teacher wasn't listening. I said, hey, can you help me? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, yeah. And his hair is always a mess. And he's, he's always, you know, he's always late. He's always got something going on like, this kid, what is the deal? And I'm like, can you help me? He's like, yeah, I can help you. You know, I do this and I do that. I'm like, you do that? Yeah, I do that every day. Every day? Yeah, every day. So if I did that every day, I'd probably be better like you. He's like, well, you don't do that every day? Like, hey, 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 hey. Let's tone down the judgment. I'm your elder. He was, he was more diligent about what needed to happen. Thank God I asked him because now I can do the stuff every day. You know, you gotta go through flashcards. Isn't that awesome? 
49 years old, flashcards. <laughs> yeah, that'll humble you. You know what he does? Flashcards. He spends an hour reading in the Greek interlinear. He, he goes, he, he rewatches the classes. And he's better than me. I can either get mad because he's a punk, <laughs> or I can realize that he's doing better than me because he's more diligent than I am. And I can learn, I can humble myself and learn from him. And I did, and I appreciated him, and I told him that. So I'm like, man, you used to irritate me because you knew all the stuff. And now I appreciate the fact that you know all the stuff because I can call him. I can get tutored by a punk. <laughs> inexperienced in the message of righteousness. If you stay in this, you will be experienced. If you don't, you won't. It'll still stay foreign. If I don't ever listen to another Greek class, don't ever read another Greek word, don't I, you know what, how much Greek I'll know in two years? Anybody ever take a foreign language in school? Yeah, how you doing with that? Amen. I'd like a burrito. Nailed it. Four years of Spanish, and you mispronounced burrito. Inexperienced in the message of righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, how often? Every day, flashcards, constant use. Uh, Jim, my stepdad that passed away, he was a roofer for, I don't know, 20 years. And he could, he could put a nail, in a 16-penny nail in a two-by-four in one hit. Why? Because he was stronger than me? No, he was shorter than me. I can totally arm wrestle him. Constant use. He swung that hammer 10 million times a day. He put nails in one. He did it for 20 years. The reason he could put a 16-penny nail into a 2 by 4 wasn't because he was stronger or better or smarter. It's because he was experienced. The reason, that, uh, the reason that someone... Have you ever watched uh, my... My man, I'm about to hang myself. If I, if I have like a little respite, like a little entertainment respite, it's watching UFC fights on uh, Facebook because I'm not going to pay for them. So you get them for free on Facebook. And so I'll watch UFC fights on Facebook. And it is regular to see a big guy get beat by a little guy. How? How does the weaker person beat the stronger person? They're better. They're better. Tegan, uh, Gunner's girlfriend, uh, did uh, Taekwondo, right? Taekwondo when she was young. And when she was little, she got a little video of her little girl breaking a, a board. How's a little girl break a board? Practice, constant use. They taught her, this is exactly how you hit it. This is exactly the form. This is how you strengthen your shot. This is how... Amen. I can still take her, but I'm just saying. <laughs> she can break a board. 
It wasn't the strength. It wasn't her, her mighty physical prowess. It was the skill associated with learning how to do the thing. If you stay diligent about righteousness, about living the authentic Christian life, I promise you, you'll figure it out. I promise you. I promise you. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. Some of you right now might be new and you're struggling with, man, what's right? What's wrong? What's good? What's evil? And, and you should always be presented new situations. I don't think that you'll ever be so mature that you don't get a, presented a new situation by the enemy and you're just like, I got this. Arrogant thing? There ain't no way. You are always going to be presented unique opportunities by the enemy to be tempted and fail. He's been deceiving people for 6,000 years. You ain't going to be the first that's going to beat him at head-to-head -head combat. How can you beat him? You have to train your senses by constant use with the Holy Spirit how to discern the good and the evil, the right from the wrong, the good choice from the bad choice. It doesn't just come naturally. You just don't sit in a church and absorb it. It's not osmosis. It's not in the food. It's not in the water. You have to use it, do it. It's not even really in the message. You can sit here for the next 27 hours and, and listen to me preach for it. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. And just blow the clock up and just preach. Anyway, get back to earth. You could listen to all the greatest messages by all the greatest preachers, way better than me, way better than me, and not get it. You know, there was 10,000 people in Jesus' messages sometimes. 10,000 people. And a slew of them getting healed, demons having, being ran out of them. And not that long after that, those are the exact same people that were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. If you think that you're just going to get that one perfect preacher with all those perfect messages and then that's what's going to fix you. No. It is getting the truth and it's continually getting it and putting it into action. Truth, action. Truth, action. Truth, action. And then it creates muscle memory and that muscle memory, that constant use will train you to discern good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings. This is kindergarten, elementary school. Let us leave elementary school, the elementary teachings about Christ, and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of, number one, we're going to get here, watch. Repentance from dead works. That's today. Can you explain to a person who doesn't have a clue what repentance from dead works, could you sit them down, take an hour, and explain them through the process of them repenting from dead works? And likely the answer is, and I'm not picking on nobody, but likely the answer for about 90% of this room is, no, you can't. And this is, this is kindergarten. A amen. This is why I'm doing these foundation, this foundation series, is because the things we should be good at, we're not good at. Some of the other things that really aren't maybe the most important things, we're really good at that. Man, let me show you how I can work all the apps on my phone. Well, aren't you awesome? Can you work repentance from dead works? Eh, what is that? 
We'll find out. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith in God. Instruction about baptisms. Please note the S. For those of you that came out of the Baptist church, yep, there's more than one. The laying on of hands. This is a foundation doctrine, laying on hands. You know how many denominations don't believe in that no more? The resurrection of the dead. <laughs> Wait till we get there. That's going to be dicey. And eternal judgment. Uh-uh, we're Grace Church. There ain't no more judgment. <laughs> Guess what? I didn't write it. We are a Grace Church, and there is judgment. And it's eternal. Some people are making choices that are going to eternally affect their lives. Well, boy, this is New Testament. This is the grace part of the Bible. <laughs> Thank you. And this we will do if God permits. If God permits me to finish this course. It is, even, even the author knew like, oh, Steve's going to preach this? I don't know, man. Believe with me. Pray for me. It is impossible. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Please hear me. These are challenging verses. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and then have fallen away to be restored to repentance. Because, this tells you why, they themselves have crucified the Son of God all over again and subjected him to an open shame. How you live your life reflects on Christ. You might not like that. I'm sorry. Charles Spurgeon was one of the one of the voices of the Third Great Awakening that took place that started around 1850. Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. He was an Englishman, so when he spoke, everything you know, an Englishman can tell you to go to the bathroom, and it just sounds eloquent. And he was, he, he, his prowess with the language was just amazing, and he's regularly referenced as one of the most influential preachers ever. Let me give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Another proof of the conquest of a soul for Christ will be found in a real change of life. A real change of life. If the man does not live differently from what he did before, both at home and abroad, his repentance needs to be repented of, and his conversion is a fiction. And we have a version of Christianity like this today. And what I call it is the incantation Christianity. And what incantation Christianity is, is you preach a really somber message, 
usually with emotional, um, probably with some sweaty preacher that's really getting into it. And then they emotionally move you to that place where you're like crying and you're broken and you're, ah! and then they get you to incantation their prayer. Say this after me. Um. And then that person goes away thinking that because they said the incantation that some magical, amazing spiritual thing happened. And they go right back into the life that they once had. They go home, they get drunk, they beat their wife, they kick the dog, they cuss their coworkers out on Monday. But because they said the incantation, obviously they're fine. We have a version of this Christianity, and brothers and sisters, it is a lie. It is a lie. If there's not a changed life on the other end of the repentance, then the repentance was not authentic. And I'm going to show you scripturally that there are two different kinds of repentance. This word repentance from dead works is the Greek word metaneo. Meta, neo, compound word. Meta means to change. This is where we get our English word metamorphosis, which is nasty, ugly, slimy, hairy caterpillar that goes into a cocoon and then comes out a butterfly. And if you look at a butterfly, there ain't no caterpillar in it. Anybody ever looked at a butterfly? All the girls, raise your hand. You, there, you don't look at that butterfly and you say, wow, this is the best looking caterpillar I've ever seen. No, it's not a caterpillar. It's a butterfly. It was a caterpillar and it metamorphosed into a butterfly. Meta, change. Metamorphosis, meta, noe. So it's not just change like you changed your oil. It's not just change like, well, I, you know, I put 50 quarters in a swear jar last week. I'm going to put 49. That's not change that it's talking about. It's talking about caterpillar to butterfly change. Meta neo. Neo in the Greek, noe, is actually the thinking process. It's, it's the... It's the way the mind works. It's not just the mind. It's the, it's the core, the center of how you think. Why you think, how you think, what propels your thoughts. So the word metanoe means to change, to go from caterpillar to butterfly, that much change, the center of your thinking. You used to think, hey, uh, I got major bills. I need to hoard all my money and steal everything I can get my hands on. And then you have an encounter with God and you actually decide to change your life and now you're like, man, I need money. I should give away because God says that if I give, it shall be given unto me, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into my bosom. Complete change. Caterpillar eating the leaves, getting fat. Butterfly flying from flower to flower, sharing pollen everywhere that sucker goes. Metaneo. I used to tolerate my wife and I was just going to stay together because da da da. 
now I realize my wife is the greatest gift that God's ever given me. The most beautiful thing that God gave me was her. I used to think Christianity was a bunch of fools wasting their Sunday morning. You know, I got to watch NASCAR races. They still do that on Sundays? And then you're like, man, I can't wait to be around my beloved peeps. What's wrong with you? You changed. You changed. It used to be about NASCAR. Now it's about family. Meta neo. Repentance from dead works. Now specifically dead works. What's this? Dead works is talking about the way that religion has always been falsely relayed to humanity is if you do this for your deity, then your deity will respond with this. This is all religions from the first moment that humanity ever invented religion. And even in Christianity, this is very, very common. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Right? Not you, not yet. That's, that's the idea that a lot of Christians carry. Like, God doesn't, God doesn't accept me. I don't know. If I, if I work a little harder, if I get a little more holy, if I, if I, if I give a little more, if I, uh, if I read the Bible more, if I pray more, then, 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 then. And these are all dead works. If you're doing anything to get God to do something, you are doing dead works. God doesn't respond to you trying to move him. When I went to Bible college, when Kay and I, we, Kay and I heard this message a thousand times when I was in Bible college. Faith moves God. You could buy bumper stickers. If you, if you stayed in there long enough and you didn't notice it, they would come and tattoo the side of your neck. Faith moves God. You're like, what happened? Oh, oh I got a word of faith tattoo. Faith moves God. Faith moves God. Faith moves God. You hear that 10,000 times, guess what you believe? All right, so I need God to move. Ready, God? Ooh! I'm faithing. I, I, you're sick. So you need God to move because you're sick. Because God is the healer. And so when you're sick, you need God to move. Lay his hand on you. Touch his garment or something. And so now you're sick. Like, all right, God, I'm sick. Don't you know? You do know, right? Okay, God, I'm sick, so by his stripes I'm healed now. Heal me! And we did that for years. And every time the preacher said, hey, if you give your last $100, God will give you a house. Well, we ain't got a house. We kind of need one of those. I guess we'll give them the electric money. Guess how that turned out. Because faith moves God. Your actions will move God. If you do good stuff, God will be super pleased with you. He'll brag about you to all the angels in heaven. Did you see my daughter down there? Woo, she's awesome. And then if you do stupid stuff, terrible kid. I can't even, I don't even know why I had you. You're the worst kid I ever had. Roller coaster Christianity. If you're doing good, you're, you're riding the high because God's pleased with you. You're doing really good. God, I haven't done like major sin in like four days. 
right? I can pray now, I've earned it. If I pray right now, I'll get my prayer. And then wham, you hit the wall and you do the stupid thing and now you're in the ditch and you're sick because you open yourself up for all that and you're laying there in your bed like, oh God, I can't believe I did that. I, I thought I was better than that. Really? You thought you were better than that. Ding! You thought you were better than that. Just so you know, if you don't get it by grace, you don't get it. I don't care how good you are. You can be almost as good as Jesus and you'll never earn it. And any work you do to produce something from God or in the spirit, any work you do to produce is a dead work. Dead. The way works are supposed to work in the authentic Christian life is apple trees make apples. I know, that's super deep. That's why it's a seminary course. Nature produces fruit. Identity produces works. You believe you're righteous, you do righteousness. If I believe that I am a spouse beater, then Kay will have a spouse beater as a husband, because I believe that. Now, and she could be perfect. She could be the sweetest, she could be the happiest, she could be the, but I'll find a reason to make my identity match the situation. Amen. Now, if I believe that I'm, a, that I'm a covenant husband, then Kay can, can, we can go home this afternoon and she can pop off and flesh flash me. And you know what I'm gonna do? Just gonna love her because I'm so awesome at husband. <laughs> Amen. This is what, well, I didn't, I didn't want to yell at that person. I didn't want to have that situation with that coworker at work, but they did. Oh, they produced it in you. They did it. So that identity wasn't in you. I had somebody, I was sitting, I was ministering to somebody in my office and they were getting worked up. I was drilling down into stuff and they were getting worked up and they just, they were like, well, you know, they just, ugh, and they cussed, great big, you know, the word. And they were like, oh, I'm sorry, pastor. I'm like, do you think I never heard that word? You think I never said that word? I said, why are you sorry? Well, because I, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, you accidentally said it? You didn't form? Well, it just, I didn't know that was in there. I did. I'm not even with you all the time. I can figure out that it was in you. It can't come out if it ain't in. Man, I hope you get this. All of the stuff in your life that you don't like, the only reason it's there is because you put it in there. It can't come out if you don't put it in. Amen. It, Someone, quick, talk to me in German. Oh, Allie. No, don't. Uh, French. Oh, uh, 
Give me a language. <laughs> Not Spanish, we got that. Polish. Someone talk to me in Polish. You can't. Uh, just stop. It's a terrible example. The point is, you can't talk to me in Polish if nobody's ever taught you Polish. You can't sin as good as you sin unless someone taught you, probably you, to sin the sin. Come back. We'll get back to the message. You're, now she's... Lost her. Meta noe. Properly to think differently after a change of mind. Simply put, change. Real, deep, internal change. Meta noe. The specific wrong being highlighted here is the dead works. We have to change from living a life that includes dead works. Stop making God your puppet on a string. You can't make God do anything. God moves by grace and by love no matter how awesome you are or how terrible you're doing at life. You know, some people are terrible sinners and they got a little bit of faith in God and they get miracles left and right. And I've seen Christians get mad. Just not that long ago, I was in a meeting and somebody came up and you could smell the alcohol on this person. They came to the meeting, I don't know, lit or just barely unlit or whatever and got healed. They had a, what was it? Something in their spine. They couldn't move right. And I ministered to them, laid hands on them and they were instantly healed. And one of the Usher people were standing next to me and said, I've had, some, I've had this thing in my spine for 10 years. And I said, well, it just happened here. It happened here. So I ministered to the guy, nothing. And got a little blankety-blank and walked off. What was the difference? Likely, guy with 10-year problem thinks that he deserves it. Why does this guy with alcohol in his breath, how's he get healed and this guy don't? What are dead works? Are all works dead? This, this exhortation preoccupies a large section of this epistle in the book of Hebrews. The way you and I would state this doctrine more concisely is salvation is only by grace through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. This is what I just call the Ephesian 2.8 manifest. This is one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. You are saved by grace through faith, not of your works. So you can't boast. You are healed by grace through faith, not of your works, so you can't boast. You are blessed by grace through faith, not of your works, so you can't boast. You have an awesome marriage because of God's grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves, so you can boast. Everything that you get from God is by grace, through faith, not of your works, so you can't boast. 
man, so simple and so profound. Now you can cooperate with what God's grace is. We call that faith. God says, hey, I want you to have a great marriage. All right, well, I'll invest in it then. Because you want me to have a great marriage, that means that you've given me the grace to have a great marriage, and so I'm going to invest in it. I'm going to study Kay. I'm going to dwell with her according to knowledge, it says in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. So I'm going to learn about her. I'm going to unpack her soul. I'm going to learn what makes her happy, what makes her sad, what makes her have a flesh flash, which, by the way, is anything that I do in the kitchen. Apple trees make apples because it's their nature. They don't try. You ain't never heard an apple tree trying to make an apple. Never will. Christians reflect Christ because they've been changed into his nature. Not because you're trying. Work, or another word for work is labor, was a byproduct of the self-inflicted fall of Adam's curse. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. I'm skipping 18, but you'll be fine. You can go read it later. Then God said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, don't, guys, don't take this the wrong way. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat, cursed is the ground because of you. Notice, God didn't curse Adam. You know how many people I've heard say, well, God cursed Adam. No, he did not. He did not. Not one time in there is there any curse that God placed on Adam for Adam falling. And it's the same with you. I don't care how stupid you sin. I don't care how much you sin. God doesn't curse you for your sin. You will curse your environment because of your sin. But God doesn't curse you because of your sin. The environment got cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. You did it. Who cursed the ground? Every time we spanked our kids when they were little, I had to say, now, why are you getting a spanking? Because you're mean and you hate me. No. Why are you getting a spanking? Because I did the thing. So who is the reason you're getting a spanking? Cursed is the ground because of you. Notice what that looks like. With hard labor, you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Labor is because of the curse. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face, not just labor, hard labor, lots of labor, sweaty labor. This is what you get, Adam. You should have done it the way I wanted to, which was, here's a whole garden filled with trees that are just going to perpetually make a bunch of fruit for you. Just stay away from that one tree. And then Adam and Eve are like, one tree? Interesting. Just like you. Hey, just stay away from this. Oh, this. What is this? Oh, look at this. Oh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, Stay away. Ah, oh, it's not that bad. I can handle it. Other people can't handle that. I can handle this. 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Praise be to Jesus, who became dust for us. For his complete atonement, where he redeemed us from this labor life, the curse of the labor life. You've been redeemed from it. Jesus is your Sabbath. You live in a perpetual Sabbath. He's the Sabbath. It's not a day, it's a person. The Sabbath is a person. You live in him, which means you are forever in the Sabbath. You are always in a day of rest. Luke twenty-two forty-four. And in his anguish, this is Jesus in the garden, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became blood. Adam made a sweat to produce bread, and then the bread of life labored for us so hard that his sweat became the blood, the atoning blood that rescues us from the labor life, the sweat and the toil of this life. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Is that a promise? Does God lie? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn. Didn't we hear that word earlier? Learn. Reteach. Allow our senses to be trained. Learn. Learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You'll find it. Notice we think that if I'm doing this stuff, then I'll just, <clears throat> I'll just wander into these things. No, you have to find these things. You don't ever find what you're not looking for. If you're not looking for it, you don't find it. If you're looking for grace, you'll find grace. That's what Mary did. That's what Noah did. They were looking for grace. And so the Bible says, and they found grace. You will find what you're looking for. If you're finding rest, if you're looking for rest for your souls, Jesus has got it. He's got it in spades. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our work, our yoke, our burden now is to believe. That's the yoke. That's the yoke that he put on your neck. It's to believe with him. To always to believe. To never stop believing. This is the doctrine of allegiant faith or believing loyalty. This is covenantal living. This isn't I just one time believed that Kay was going to be in covenant with me. We believe every day that we're in covenant. This is covenantal living that is contrary to our quitting-based culture. Quitting is anti-covenant. Today, if one doesn't like, notice, like, they don't like their job or they don't like their church, you just quit. I don't like it. Quit. If you, if you don't want to be pregnant, just kill the baby. We call it health care now. Right? They don't want it. Just quit. You can just quit the pregnancy. If you don't like that you were born a boy, just change your pronouns. And then you'll be popular and everybody, and you have to make the, the, the flight service people argue with you about your, pro your pronouns. 
while you have a beard. No, call me ma'am. You have a beard. Bearded woman? If you don't like what your mama cooked, just throw a tantrum on the floor and you get mac and cheese. Guess where we learned it from? For all of you picking on the people that got jacked up pronouns, yet you learned how to be a brat. You learn that if you are willing to make it hard enough on your mother, she will eventually give up, quit, and you won't have to eat the peas. You can have mac and cheese. And you've carried that into your 40-year-old adult brat life. And we quit whenever we want to. This is non-covenantal living. If God isn't servicing you the way you want him to, then you'll just chunk him and do your own thing. I tried that religion thing. God didn't, God didn't do all the faithful stuff for me. God failed me. Oh, God bless you. Our work is to believe past the point of quit. That's real faith. Real faith is believing right past quit. To quit is to change away from God. Repentance is to change towards God. John chapter 6, 28 and 29, then they inquired, talking to Jesus, Lord, Master, what must we do to perform the works of God? Here it is. You know how many times I've had somebody walk up to me after a message and say, what should I do to do the works of God? How can I do what God wants me to do? And nobody's ever liked this answer. This is actual red letters in your Bible. Jesus said it, and nobody yet has ever said, oh, thanks, Pastor, that's the best answer. No, like, shut up. Give me something to do. Give me the do. Okay, let me give you the do. What must we do to perform the works of God? Believe. No, no, no. I mean the do. Believe. Next verse. Believe. 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 That's your do. No, I mean really actual do. <laughs> You've never believed. Because if you knew what believing was like, it takes effort. It takes effort to stand in front of this society and say, no, nah, righteousness is better than cheating. Staying in for the long haul in my marriage is better than 14 divorces. Being healthy, fighting for it, fighting for the belief of by his stripes I'm healed is a whole lot better than becoming a pharmacia pin needle, pin cushion. But it's hard. You know, it's easy to go to the doctor. They, they love it when you show up, make some rich, they get kickbacks from the pharmaceutical companies for you showing up, they're gonna stick a needle in every orifice of your body. And then they're gonna, I don't know why it doesn't work. I, I gave you the thing that counterbalanced the thing, that counterbalanced the thing, that counterbalanced the thing, that counterbalanced, well, I don't know why we're back in this circle. From the right believe, you will produce the right do. John the Baptist was so successful and anointed for repentance ministry. This was his ministry. You could just see John the Baptist. Camel hair, bug guts hanging out of his beard, stuck to honey, standing in the middle of the Jordan River saying, repent, 
bony finger. This, I, I, this is literally my image of John the Baptist. And then someone prophesied to me like 20 years ago, you're going to be a modern day John the Baptist. I'm like, heck no, you got the wrong prophet. And then another person prophesied it and another person prophesied it. Another per like five people prophesied it over the course of 10 years. I'm like, fine. But I'm not going to have bug guts in my beard. And I'm definitely not wearing camel hair. But I will tell the world to repent. I've been doing it ever since. Repent. Change your way you think. Turn back to God. Now I realize it's not so bad. John the Baptist and his ministry was so important that Christ couldn't come unless John the Baptist did what he did. Repentance was that important. You cannot receive Christ without repentance. You cannot be saved without repentance. Cannot. You cannot be healed without repentance. You cannot be delivered without repentance. You cannot be liberated without repentance. Nothing comes without repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, i.e. hypocrites, coming to his place of baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. One day I'm going to be as bold as John the Baptist. I'm going to stand up at a pulpit. Not this one because you guys are awesome. I'm going to stand at a pulpit somewhere and say, hey, welcome to the message. Welcome to the meeting. Glad you all are here. You bunch of snakes. All right, so they'll be passing out the offering envelopes. <laughs> Why did he call him a brood of vipers? Because he, he just wanted to pick on people? You know, Trump called, called the MS-13 dogs, and, and he got, like, lambasted by media. You know, the real president would never call people dogs. Here's John the Baptist calling people snakes, and Jesus called Herod a dog, a fox. It, it wasn't talking about, like, this wasn't something to be an insult. What he was saying was, this was their character. What's a viper? A viper is a poisonous, subtle creature. Poisonous and subtle. Hey, how are you? This is what uh, Proverbs chapter 5 talks about with the strange woman. The strange, beautiful woman that calls to you from the rooftops, hey, good looking, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, I was going to go see my wife. Well, it's still, it's still daylight out. Why don't you come up and hang out? We'll have a cup of tea. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, you know, my wife's not expecting me for an hour. And I'm paraphrasing, but go read Proverbs chapter 5 and 6. The strange woman, it's exactly what she does. She calls, and it says that the weak, the weak inner person, the, the weak young man who doesn't have character and doesn't have virtues answers the call of the strange woman. The subtleness and the poisonous of these Sadducees and Pharisees was what John was pointing out. And he says, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? You know what they were doing? They were going out to see the popular preacher. They went to the popular church. It's the mega church. It's where all the cars went on Sunday. I just followed all the cars on Sunday. And John the Baptist, the preacher, stands up. Who told you? Who warned you that you should come and hear this message? And then he says to them, this is so radical. This is, I could spend an hour on this statement. Produce fruit then in keeping with repentance. 
If it's actual repentance, there will be fruit. There will be noticeable, everybody can see it change. Metanoia. Metanoia. Produce fruit then in keeping with metanoia. His requirement was fruit that was congruent with genuine repentance. Fruit can only come from root. The evil twin brother to genuine fruitful repentance is metamelomai. Metanoia, meta change, noia, the center of your thinking, metamelomai. The word mel talks about the emotional status of a person, their feelings. Meta, mel, meta, change, mel, your feelings. This is what most people think repentance is. I, was, I felt terrible about the thing that I did. Really? Whoop-de-doo. You still did it again. I don't care if you feel terrible about it. I felt terrible when I was living for the world, when I was in a spiritual coma, I felt terrible every day. I felt terrible every day, all day, and at night. Didn't change it. Why would I change it? I can just deal with feeling terrible. The example I want to give you is Peter and Judas, the genuine versus the hypocrite. Peter denied, which is he sinned or he failed, the Lord. If you remember, three times, the Lord prophesied to him, before the night ends, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter was adamant. Uh-uh, I got a sword, buddy. If I need to, I'll pull that sword off and whack all the people that come after you. I'll die with you if I need to. And Jesus is like, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Don't you know Peter's like, okay, look, I know you're Lord. I know you're God. I know you're Messiah. I know you're a prophet, but you're wrong this time. After the third public denial, the cock crowed. Let me pick up the verse. Luke 22, 61 and 62. The cock crows. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoke to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept. He cried. Judas also denied and betrayed the Lord, but could not find an internal place of genuine repentance. What Judas found was only emotion. What Peter did was cry and change. Peter cried and stayed in faith. He pushed through. He went and met back with the brothers. They went into the room. They prayed. They worked through their problems. They worked through their misery, worked through the tears. And then one day, the resurrected Lord shows up in the middle of the room with the doors being locked. A few days later, he takes Peter off to the side. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do. If you love, you do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. 
feed my lambs. If you love, you do. Third time, Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter denied him three times. Jesus had him repent three times. His repentance was changed. Peter ended up feeding the sheep. He did it. His repentance was changed. He actually did it. Judas, verse, Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented. He what, what? I thought repentance will get you there. Yeah, the right kind of repentance. This is a whole nother word. Metamelomai. Different kind of repentance. This is emotional. Oh, look what they're doing to Jesus. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like what they're doing to him. I feel terrible about what they're doing to him because I have some culpability here. I feel terrible about these circumstances in my life. I know I got something here. I know I got some problem. I know I, I can associate with some of this stuff, but some of it is just, it is what it is. Not my fault, somebody else's fault. Man, but I feel terrible. I cry every day over the circumstances in my life. You know, God keeps all of my tears in a jar. He repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver. Would you say that's a work? Some of us have never really read the Bible. Judas felt terrible and brought the money back. Kept his receipt. I didn't mean to trade Jesus. Brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders and he said, I have sinned. He acknowledged his sin. He is a unique Christian. Very seldom do I ever have anybody ever walk up to me and say, I sinned, pastor, I missed it. No, because we can't even say that in modern America. Well, you know, I made a mistake. I had a little boo-boo. No, you sinned. You sinned. We call sin, sin. We call fat, fat. <laughs> right here. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He knew what he did. But they said, what's that to us? You see to it. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went out, killed himself. He was so remorseful, he killed himself. That is a ton of emotion. To have so much emotion that you kill yourself, like that's peak, pinnacle emotion. Repentance is not emotion. There's a change of mind that is surface, external, and then there's one that's, general, that's genuine. It even made Judas return the money. One makes us feel bad for our choices, the other one leads us to change in nature through Christ. Emotional repentance makes you hate yourself. Genuine repentance makes you hate the sin. 
This is the same thing that the author of Hebrews was talking about when he compared Esau to Jacob when Esau lost, lost his birthright. And you know what? Jacob was a scoundrel. <laughs> Go read the Bible. Jacob was a bad person, but Jacob kept in faith. Hebrews 9, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Look after each other. Good luck with that if you're not in a local body. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root, sounds like a viper, no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. How many? Many people are corrupted by bitterness. Your one cancer of strife and contention can nuke a church. One person. One person can get in bitterness, slaughter the church. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected, and it tells us why. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. God's not moved by our tears. He's not moved by your faith, and he's not moved by your tears. God moves by grace. Now, you can move you by your tears, or you can just feel bad. Acts 17.30 says, although God overlooked the ignorance of early to earlier times, he now commands all people everywhere to repent. Is anybody in here in all people? Are we anywhere? All people everywhere. So if you fit within that grid, what should you do? And I'll finish with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I didn't give this one to you, Hopi, I'm sorry. And so if you can't pull it up, I'll just read it to the gang. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. I really connect with the apostle Peter, Paul right here because I make people mad all the time. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, even if I caused you sorrow by my sermon, I don't regret it. Although I did regret it. I do. I feel terrible when you feel terrible. I know you think that I'm some Spock, zombie, emotionless. I'm not. I feel terrible when you feel terrible. I just know that your terrible can actually change you. Although I did regret it, I now see that my letter caused you sorrow but only for a short time. And now I rejoice, not because you were made sorrowful, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you felt the sorrow that God had intended and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow, please remember this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, I quote this to people all the time. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
Judas had worldly sorrow and killed himself. Peter had genuine sorrow that led to repentance and he became a pillar in the church. Metanoia, meta melonai. You're going to have to choose. If you just have metamelomai, that's fine. But use those emotions to propel you into metanoia. So you can change the center of who you are. And then you'll change the fruit, and then you'll have a much better lunch with better fruit. Please rise so I can bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.